Greetings, welcome, bienvenidos, hola, aloha, ni hao, namaste, konnichiwa, bonjour, bonjourno, so adikarup, guten tak, ciao, weevee, vakat, bang, half a day, ciao, janendra, priviet, salam, shalom, peace, now, go vegan, peace, how, go vegan, after all, it was Tolstoy who said, as long as there are slaughterhouses, there will be battlefields, peace, now, Go Vegan. It's Go Vegan Radio with Bob Linden, now in our 20th anniversary season. That's right, we started 20 years ago on KRLA in Los Angeles as the first uh, talk show to infiltrate mainstream media. Then went on to be on major networks and radio stations across the country, including the Air America Network and uh, GCN, now podcasting. And on today's show, we will talk to Raydel Hernandez, who is the author of It's Delicious, It's Vegan, It's Cuban. And does it seem like, uh, well, who would have imagined 20 years ago that uh, here in 2021, we would arrive in the age of awakening, awakening, waking up, awake, wide awake, awakened, awoke, woke of our homo sapien human species maybe not so human after all uh how how human are you actually you've been eating gmos for so long now directly from usually it's uh, soy and corn that are not organic and uh then the animals whom you eat the dairy that comes from those animals, the dairy and eggs, uh, from animals who are fed GMO corn and wheat. So how human are you actually? Um, well, if we go by what science tells us, and it's hard to say what science is real science these days, which is politicized, but, uh, well, take it from me. I know science. I went to a math and science high school. So uh, when I say it's science, there you go. It's science. It's more science than if you get it from uh, Dr. Fauci, because Dr. Fauci eats pastrami and hot dogs. And he doesn't seem to understand that the World Health Organization has classified those as carcinogens to humans. So I don't know about what Dr. Fauci is pitching. And then uh, if you watch the video of throwing of him throwing out the first pitch in the baseball season, well, it, it would be hard to catch it, hard to catch on, hard to catch it, hard to catch on. Anyway, science tells us that we are herbivores. That's right. And uh, how have we gone so mad and, you know, everything seems so uh, out of balance right now? Well, we are herbivores on meat, dairy, fish, and eggs. Basically, you know, humans gone wild. So maybe I can take advantage of the moment, pretty much, you know, when all, all of these humans who have gone wild feel that they are the ones who are wakening, awakening, waking up, awake, wide awake, what is it, awakened, awoke, woke each of which seems to have its own political perspective, by the way, and uh, social and cultural 
perspective. You know, it's like, hey, don't call me awoke. I'm woke. You know, don't don't call me awake. I'm awakened. Um, <laughs> well, in in which category are you? Which which one do you think you are? Of those, what eight or nine different categories? Now, based on your answer, I'm sure that. Uh, well, maybe uh, Facebook or Google will come up with your complete thought history profile and then predict your future thoughts. And then, uh, of course, with this new nanotechnology uh, vaccine, uh, prevent you from having those, uh, those future thoughts of your own. And you'll only have the future thoughts uh, coming from... Uh, and Bill Gates from Facebook and Google and Microsoft. But uh, for the moment, presuming that your thoughts are your own, or at least 50% your own, 25% social media, 25% mainstream media, you, I am sure, believe that you are someone who's very high on that scale of, uh, of awake, let's call it, without me going over all the categories again, right? So, well, so uh, th there you are on that uh, scale, high on the scale of being awake, let's call it. Um, and uh, in the case of uh, listeners of this podcast, uh, nodding off. Um, but anyway, fully aware of your awareness as you are, if... Uh, it kind of brings a new uh, freshness to things, doesn't it? Your new awareness. You're seeing things clearly now, even though everybody else is seeing everything in a blur. Uh, you know, it's like the beginning of spring, a, a new beginning, new thinking. So um, now that you, yes, you, are awake anew, um, should we add that to the list of categories? Awake anew. I am no. Don't call me woke. Don't call me awake. Call me awake anew. Awake anew. Um, anyway, with this uh, new perspective, this new thinking, how about I um, uh, introduce uh, a new uh, a, a, a new concept for you to consider? Uh, that, uh, you know, be before you, uh, became awake anew, you have been eating decomposing body parts. Have you thought about that? Did you think about when you were chewing and swallowing that you were consuming pathogen-laden, uh, fecal-sprinkled decomposing body parts, corpses, cadavers? How awake have you been? <laughs> Look at what you're eating. Look at what they're shoving down your throat. Have you ever really thought about that? Huh? Chomping on flesh and blood and muscle and fat and bones that there's somebody in your mouth. You're swallowing somebody. Somebody who had to suffer a very painful life and a very painful death. Um, and, uh, you know, um, very, very painful for, for, for all the animals. Um, and uh, then, of 
you know, I don't know if you're, you're buying it. It's like, you know, we're, we're all concerned about propaganda and censorship these days. And yet all these years you've been buying it. Somebody's selling you to have this diet of death, destruction, devastation, disease. Uh, and then, of course, well, then you have other people, you know, when some people get to thinking about it and they don't want to participate in the violence and the killing, then you have somebody coming along selling you uh, humane death and destruction and disease, humane pain and torture, uh, all in the name of the uh, the animal rights movement. Huh? That's the other corruption that's going around. You know, when, when people claim to be representing something or someone and then turns out to be the opposite, huh? So, uh, you know, if you have people selling you, uh, well, they... And it's, it's almost like getting back to normal for me because, because before COVID, I did spend a lot of time exposing the fake animal rights movement industry. And uh, on, on our recent episode, we got back into it a little bit, exposing animal equality, where all animals can equally suffer, equally be tortured, equally be murdered. Um with this bogus campaign, what is it called? The uh, Better Chicken Commitment. So, you know, the uh, fake animal rights movement is, is up to its old tricks. And I used to uh, complain a lot on this show about Mercy for Animals, how it reversed its positions in the past. First being against cage-free eggs until it became one of the major proponents for cage-free eggs and enriched battery cages and furnished cages, all, you know, all of which used to be opposed by this fake animal rights movement, used to be opposed by uh, Mercy for Animals, until all those big donations came, uh, came flowing in. Uh, and all those donations that suddenly made them uh, whistle a different tune. And uh, so, you know, with COVID and all of that, I haven't been paying as much attention to the corruption of the fake animal rights movement. I thought maybe it would be uh, locked down and shut out, shut down by, by COVID. Like, unfortunately, a lot of vegan restaurants have been, a lot of really... Good people, good businesses have suffered, but no, not the fake animal rights movement that, uh, you know, has stolen a fortune from the animals to promote everything against the interest of animals. And uh, so, as I mentioned on uh, our last show, this horrible campaign, the uh, Better Chicken Commitment, supported by Animal Equality and... Uh, other campaigns in which uh, Farm Forward participates, Farm Forward, another, you know, uh, public relations arm of the, the meat industry, as is Mercy for Animals. So I just thought I'd quickly look up Mercy for Animals and see, you know, what, what has it been doing while I haven't been paying attention? And, uh, you know, over the years, it's gotten a lot of donations from this horrible open philanthropy project 
And, uh, you know, years back I was talking about, you know, that Mercy for Animals was receiving millions of dollars. Well, now I check up on it and it looks like this, what was awarded to Mercy for Animals, a grant amount of $6,638,000, almost $7 million to Mercy for Animals, and the purpose? To support corporate engagement on animal welfare and capacity building. Uh, this grant, again, from, uh, from this uh, Louis Ballard, who was with the Open Philanthropy Project, and uh, what does it say? Here's, here's, here's what, it, here's what uh, Open Philanthropy and Mercy for Animals are saying. So, quote, The Open Philanthropy Project recommended multiple grants totaling $6,638,000 over two years to Mercy for Animals, MFA, to support corporate engagement on animal welfare and capacity building. MFA plans to continue its broiler chicken campaigns and cage-free egg enforcement work in the U.S. and Canada and its cage-free egg campaigns in Brazil and Mexico. This follows our 2016 grants to MFA to support broiler chicken welfare, cage-free egg corporate campaigns, and international cage-free advocacy, and falls within our focus area of farm animal welfare. Uh, the grant amount was updated in February, March, and July 2020, and in March 2021. So there you have it, Mercy for Animals, uh, which pretends to be an animal advocacy organization, now racking up another $7 million to sell eggs, to sell out chickens and to sell eggs. And cage-free is uh, just another fake campaign, another scampaign where every male chicken, every every male is uh, either suffocated or ground alive uh, just after birth. Every female is mutilated, imprisoned in harsh condi conditions. They say cage-free, but maybe in a shed with 40, 50,000 or more other birds pecking at each other, killing each other in a cloud of ammonia. And then uh, she is, uh, she's killed too. All, all the hens are killed too. So... Um, nobody gets out alive. Uh, it's not not you know not not happy for anyone. Uh, but the animal betrayal specialists who are collecting money by the millions. There you have now mercy for animals. You know, seven million at least to uh, betray chickens, misinform and deceive the public. What a disgrace! Shame on mercy for animals, shame on animal equality, shame on all of these, this fake animal rights movement. Shame, shame, shame. Corruption everywhere. People pretending to be exactly what they are not and uh, profiting from it and stealing all the money from a real animal rights movement that would be educating people on going vegan. 
Going vegan, the only way to save the animals. They never show you the torture of cage-free eggs. You know, they always, they, 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 and this better chicken commitment from animal equality. They show one happy-looking, clean, you know, well-fed hen. You know, it's just so deceptive. It's so, so disgraceful. So disgraceful. How do these people live with themselves? Uh, well, you know, <laughs> I, I, I guess they, instead of counting sheep, they'll just count all the dollars in the bank that they corrupt, that they get, get for their corruption. So anyway, I hope that people wake up to this fake animal rights movement. I hope people wake up to, you know, what's in their mouths. You know, it's like people have had a lot of time to think in isolation, right? So, uh... Maybe, you know, they think like, what am I chewing or whom am I chewing? I'm what I'm I'm chewing on somebody's body. Uh, gosh, I hadn't really thought about that. I mean, it was, it was called a steak, a burger. It was called bacon. It was called ham. Huh? So, uh, you know, but if you really want to be, you know, newly awake or whatever term you want to use, you got to go vegan, you know, although, you know, I suppose some people, you know, hey, pass me another chicken leg or a turkey leg or the breast or the wing or, you know, I mean, the body parts have been identified in the past, uh, you know, I don't know, people eating brains and necks and feet. It's, it's a horror story. Huh? I can't believe my mother sent me off to school with with a tongue sandwich in my lunchbox. You know, not that every, every body part isn't gross, you know, like, uh, <sighs> just a thought upon which maybe chew on that, huh? So, so if people are, people are really concerned about their health, you know, they're, people are so concerned about their health, they, they'll, they'll put on a mask without questioning that when really they should put on a mask. Uh, whenever within six feet of meat, dairy, fish, and eggs. Like, for years we've known that eating animal products causes heart disease, cancer, stroke, diabetes, osteoporosis. Huh? And those are real diseases that have killed members of your family. Um, and, uh, but you don't, you don't put on a mask when you're around you know, meat, dairy, fish, and eggs, right? So, anyway, and then people are so, so, with the masks, by the way, I mean, a, a, a little reality check here, um, can, can the masks themselves be dangerous? You know, I mean, because, uh, like, I don't know, sometimes I just, think I, I i just think differently from most people i don't know why that is but what if masks are are the real danger huh what i mean what if because there have been studies to show that uh they don't necessarily prevent covid but what if you're breathing in synthetic fibers from the masks uh, into your lungs have you thought about that? What, 
what what if you're breathing in synthetic fibers especially if you breathe more deeply to get uh you know the to, to get oxygen because you know you're wearing a mask and you're depriving yourself of oxygen uh you know so uh and so you're going to breathe more deeply what if what if you're breathing in plastic fibers from the mask or cotton fibers or whatever i mean and 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 isn't it strange to be i mean think about it think about it if 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 you're awake enough to think um isn't it strange to be inhaling what you're supposed to be exhaling like especially carbon dioxide we're not supposed to be inhaling carbon dioxide we're supposed to inhale you know oxygen and then you know then you're inhaling your own carbon dioxide you're depriving the trees and the plants of what they like to breathe they like to breathe the carbon dioxide so what are you doing you're, you're probably killing plants and trees by wearing masks there's actually a study there's a study it's called it's masks false safety and real dangers part one friable mask particulate and lung vulnerability there is a part two which is microbial challenges for masks and uh i don't know how deeply we'll get into this i probably need to look at this study uh a little more and, and cover it uh more deeply in future shows but there are so many big words and so many potential diseases and risks associated that i want to see if i can figure out how to pronounce them all uh, before I do the whole thing. But this is a, a serious study from uh, Boris uh, Borovoy, Colleen Huber, and Q. Makita. And uh, just one part of it says uh, OSHA has uh, required, and OSHA is the uh, Occupational Safety and Health Administration. OSHA has required that any human occupied airspace where oxygen measured less than 19.5% to be labeled not safe for workers. And then the percentage of oxygen inside a mask, uh, inside a masked airspace, generally measures. 17.4% within several seconds of wearing that mask. So, have you uh, considered the uh, those safety considerations? Yet we're forced to wear them. They're mandatory. And yet, if uh, you look at this study, there there are serious concerns about developing asthma and COPD. A lot of uh, a lot of uh, problems. Um, so you may you may want to look up this study too because uh, you're you're not getting the you're not you're not getting it from uh, Dr. Fauci. You're not getting it from Dr. Fauci, who's busy uh, inhaling uh, pastrami sandwiches and uh, Nathan's hot dogs. Uh, you know the, he's the pitch man for all of this, right? And uh, Again, if you want a good laugh, 
watch uh, Dr. Fauci throwing out the first pitch in the baseball season, okay? So, you know, definitely check that out. But, uh, you know, sometimes we just have to, you know, like, wake, wake ourselves up, you know, and, and, and think a little bit, you know, or think a lot. Um, so, anyway, what can I tell you, um, other than, uh, go vegan, go vegan, and, uh, donate to Go Vegan Radio with Bob Linden, because all the money is being stolen and sent off, uh, Sent off to the chicken killers. You tell me how Mercy for Animals is not the chicken killing industry. That's they've gotten millions and millions of dollars to promote cage-free eggs, animal equality, all the money that it gets to promote eating chicken. It's it's really so totally outrageous, isn't it? Totally outrageous. Anyway. Let me give a shout out to Evolution Vegan Dog and Cat Food for its uh, wonderful products. The dogs and cats in your family can go vegan too and uh, live long, healthy lives. That seems to be what's happening. You can uh, go to PetFoodShop.com, PetFoodShop.com. Is your dog or cat suffering from... uh, allergies very often those are food allergies you know skin conditions itching upset stomach diarrhea um very often related to uh linked to uh, animal protein meat poultry eggs milk so um Maybe the solution is uh, going with uh, vegan food from Evolution, Evolution Vegan Dog and Cat Food. And uh, you can call uh, Eric Weissman. Uh, If you're having financial difficulties, I'm sure he'll give you a break on your order. You can talk to him about uh, your dog or cat's uh, health uh, conditions, ferrets, rabbits. Uh, The number is 651-228-228. 632 651-228-0632 evolution vegan dog and cat food a family-owned business it's been around for what about 30 years not one product recall evolution vegan dog and cat food and um also please support your local vegan restaurants in whatever way you can take out i don't know if there's we're you know the limited capacity dining in dining out whatever you can do we have to keep the vegan restaurants in business so um please support your local 100 percent vegan restaurants like a vegetarian house in san jose 520 east santa clara street you can go to vegetarian house dot com and uh vegetarian house has uh, managed to stay in business through covid but really it was doing a bus- a, a booming catering business uh before the uh scandemic pandemic pandemic and uh you know things thing, things are down for everyone but 
uh, except the fake animal rights movement, which profits off of uh, the betrayal of animals. Groups like Mercy for Animals and Animal Equality. Shame. Shame on you. Um, if you would like to support the vegan cause, you can make a donation to Go Vegan Radio with Bob Linden. Go to the website, goveganradio.com. You'll find the donate button there. You'll find over 600 programs um, in the archives, including, uh, as I mentioned, uh, our, our very recent one uh, that talks about the uh, better chicken commitment and uh, really how uh, the animal rights movement is just the uh, publicity wing of the uh, you know industries that profit off of uh, the killing of uh, animals so sorry to, sorry to bring uh, you know the bad news uh, you know because you know who who wants to believe uh, you know bad things about people whom we have trusted i felt that way when I first found out that the Humane Society of the United States was such a huge scam, you know, so very, very disappointing, you know, when you find out that its Proposition 2 was a huge scam. Just everything about them, these rancher advocacy groups in disguise, you know, HSUS was actually run by a pig farmer, uh, Joe Maxwell, who bragged about getting more money for his pigs because he could claim that they were humanely raised. And then, you know, Ingrid Newkirk of PETA complimenting Bell and Evans for the way that it kills chickens so humanely. It's, it's just so disappointing. You know, the people whom you trusted, you, you knew and loved, then when, they, when you find that they betray the animals, it's just so heartbreaking because... I mean, you know, people who, who care so much about animals just run for their checkbooks and write out checks to PETA and HSUS and Mercy for Animals and Farm and Farm Sanctuary and the Humane League and, you know, all of them, all of them who who just betrayed the animals. It's just a fake animal rights movement. What can I say? You know, I constantly get emails from people and, you know, people who... Who, who just praise mercy for animals. Well, you know, $7 million to promote eating cage-free eggs. One of the most, this is like such a cruel hoax, such a cruel hoax. Shame on all of them. Shame on them. Well, you know, really what you should do with your uh, donation dollars is really just Support vegan education and support uh, sanctuaries. Uh, but, uh, you know, wake, wake up. You know, we, we've seen so much corruption, so much fraud in so many areas of our lives. Uh, is it any surprise that we have a, a corrupt fake animal rights movement? Really shouldn't be a surprise. Should be like, oh, yeah. Okay, them too. Them too. Okay. All right. Well, anyway, um, let's let's get on to the into, on to the good thing. So, uh, as I said, we have uh, we have uh, Raydell Hernandez coming up, uh, talking about his new book. It's delicious. It's vegan. It's Cuban. 
coming up on Go Vegan Radio with Bob Linden at GoVeganRadio.com. It's Go Vegan Radio with Bob Linden at GoVeganRadio.com. On Facebook, Go Vegan Radio with Bob Linden. Twitter at Go Vegan Radio. And uh, you can support our program with a donation at GoVeganRadio.com where you can find over 600, now close to 650, archived episodes that you can hear as we are now in our 20th year of well, we started off broadcasting uh, in the uh, mainstream media, now podcasting, and uh, glad that you could be with us today, and we're glad to have Raydel Hernandez with us today. Um, he has a new book. It's called It's Delicious, It's Vegan, It's Cuban. So welcome, Raydel. How are you today? I'm very well, Bob. Glad to have you here, and I, I see it says that you are a um, first-generation Cuban-American? That is correct, yes. Most of my family came from Cuba around the early 1960s. Really? So, so where did you grow up? I grew up, I was born and raised in Yonkers, New York. Get out of here! So, yeah. I, I thought I heard an accent there that uh, was... Uh, familiar with uh, with my own <laughs> so i i grew up in new york too and then we always uh i'm embarrassed to say we went out to nathan's in yonkers that was our uh you know when we were in college that was our uh, our destination i think we went up the sprain parkway or something if i remember correctly and yeah uh, i i feel lucky to have uh survived uh nathan's uh, actually so. I think Nathan's is still there. Is I haven't it? been there in I haven't been there in years, but I think it's still there. Oh well, I'm sorry to hear that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> actually, you know, I I, I see that uh, you know you have uh, Dr. Fauci, who's America's uh, number one doctor supposedly, and um, he was on uh, being interviewed by by one of the Cuomos, and 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 he was asked, well. Uh, you're you're away from New York a lot now, Dr. Fauci. You're in D.C. Uh, what what do you miss most about New York? And he said uh, Nathan's hot dogs and pastrami sandwiches, which I I thought was not the best example to be put out by by a, a, a doctor like that. Uh, you know, like wait, be a better yeah, example. I mean, you, would... you know. Sure. I mean, of all the things to pick, pastrami. What is that? The, like the worst thing you can eat? Yeah, it's 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 it, you know. Well, uh, yeah. If, if it's not the worst thing, it's next to it. If you mention hot dogs and <laughs> and and the World Health Organization classifies those, you know, as processed meats as as human carcinogens. They're actually classified as carcinogens by the World Health Organization. So I don't know. He 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 couldn't have picked out you know kale or apples or something. I don't know. So, um, but anyway, so it seems like a lot of people enter the vegan world 
Well, it seems like there are generally three entrances, uh, animals, health, and the environment. And I think uh, you have uh, come to it via door number two, right? I think uh, uh, it was uh, health issues that got you on this journey. That is correct, yes. Health issues got me on the journey. Yeah. So, and what uh, what was the normal cuisine at home? Uh you know, I mean, it seems like everybody, every every ethnicity has, uh, you know, meat, perhaps dairy, fish, eggs. I mean, so uh, what, what were you eating as you grew up in Yonkers? Well, we had, I, I grew up with my grandparents, so we had traditional Cuban food, which um, has every available meat, seafood, uh, dairy, everything was in it. Uh, and I only ate uh, Cuban food. I mean, that's what my grandmother made for, you know, for my, my childhood years through teenager uh, years. That's what we had. And it was very heavy in meat. And, uh, yeah, by the time I was 34, 35, it was already affecting my health. So. In, 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 in what way? Well, it started off as, um, a, as a gout attack. Are you familiar with gout at all? Not, not really. Uh, no, okay. I'm, I'm always saying how, you know, meat, dairy, fish, and eggs cause heart disease, cancer, stroke, diabetes, and on and on. I, I haven't really gotten down on a list to gout that much, really. So tell me. Well, it's, uh, it's interesting. Um, gout is an acute arthritis that attacks a joint. Uh, it attacks most people's big toe, uh, which was my, which was, which the spot that attacked me was my big toe. And it's a very painful arthritis. It's, um, it comes on all of a sudden. It's almost like if you can envision like a bear trap just clamped onto your big toe for hours and it doesn't release. And um, at first, since I was a judo wrestler practitioner, um, I thought that I had injured myself, my foot. And uh, so the, the first time it ever hit, I didn't think too much of it. I just thought it was a sprain or something. And Shortly thereafter, like, I want to say within two weeks, I had another gout attack. By the third gout attack, I realized that it was something more than just a, an injury that I had received in a sporting event. Um, so I made an appointment with my primary care doctor, who was not available. I mean, you have to wait, like, two weeks to see him, which I always find so funny. Like, when you, see, when you need to see a doctor, you can't. Yeah. So um, I, had to go, I had to go to um, uh, an urgent care clinic near my house. Uh, where I met a doctor, and uh, God forgive me, I, I can't remember her name, but the woman changed my life. And uh, she, she took one look at my foot and said, look, I don't need to give you any blood tests or anything like that. Uh, you have gout. And she said, look, I, I want you to understand what I'm going to say very clearly. Um, at some point, she's like, she said to me, I can give you medicine to take care of the gout symptoms, but the underlying cause is heart disease. And she said that gout and there's two other sister ailments that go together, which is prostate problems for males and kidney stones. They're, they're all connected. They're almost like the, um, the canary in the coal mine, so to speak, uh, which alerts you that you're on your way to heart disease. And it's funny because she had mentioned kidney stones. I had had a kidney stone before the cat, uh, gout attacks. And my father had suffered from prostate uh, problems and kidney stones for all of my life that I can remember. So he passed that down to me, and apparently those symptoms, when you start getting them, 
that's the precursor to heart disease. Mm. Uh, so she said to me in no uncertain terms, she said, you know, I can give you pills, I can solve the problem. Uh, well, I can solve the symptoms, but the underlying condition will exist. And she said, at some point, you will have to turn into a vegan. And uh, I remember the, the, thinking... The phone broke up a more... little bit there. You said, so the doctor said, at some point, you will have to turn into a vegan? You will have to consider veganism, yes. She said that to me. And um, how, I remember thinking... What a miracle that you saw that particular doctor, like... I don't know how many doctors would have given you that advice or tell, told you something like that. that that's, I'm, I'm actually shocked that, you know, uh, the how, only lu- how one lucky I had, you were. Yeah, the only one ever, ever to, to mention it. Like, and she said it with conviction. She, she knew it. And, uh, you know, at first I, I was kind of nervous about it because I didn't expect her to say that. And quite frankly, I was pretty disappointed that I had to become a vegan. I wasn't prepared for it. <laughs> you'd, you'd rather have you know, pills and, and surgery <laughs> yeah. if you have to, right? So, exactly. <laughs> I thought I was going to get some pills and I was going to be told what's, what, what's told to everybody. Exercise more and lose weight, you know, but that wasn't what she said. And, um, you know, that's why I feel bad that I can't remember her name. Yeah, I, we, I can we, see her we, face. We need, we need to track her down. So where how long ago was this where where was it like we if this, I, i'm hoping was, she's listening now we we have to give her credit here <laughs> this was uh well i'm 49 now so this was when i was like 36 so what, about 13 14 years ago and yeah. it was in fort lee new jersey is where the uh, clinic was ah. um so doctor if you remember me i'm the guy you saved my life <laughs> wow that's amazing so and and these were like Panic attacks, or, or not panic, but painful attacks on your toe. You're saying basically that that you was that the recurring symptom, like your big toe kept. Yep. Yes. My big toe would flare up, and uh, it would render me useless. Uh, I couldn't get out of bed for hours, um, and it wasn't like a little pain. It was a, a monstrous pain. Anyone who's ever had gout um, can attest to that. It's not a a little pain that you can ignore. You are rolling around in bed trying to figure out how to relieve your pain. And there's nothing you can do about it. You just have to wait until your body metabolizes whatever it is that it's metabolizing, and then it goes away, but only to repeat itself because it's diet-related. Um, mainly, I mean, it's all it's all animal product-related. Sure. Uh-huh. I mean, as so, soon as so you cut that out, toe, your, back. Your t- was your toe inflamed, like it looked uh, larger than normal, or... Like yeah. she was able to just see it and know that it was gout, basically, by the way it looked. It was it was red, swollen, and on fire. Mm. And you know when things, you know when you know when your skin shines because it's like uh, swollen. It looked like that. Wow. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and isn't it amazing that we take for granted anything from you know toes to fingers? Like everything's fine until they hurt, you know. And and sometimes you don't realize like. Wow, how much it hurts! Like just if it's your toe, you know what I mean. You stub your toe, and it's uh, that that can be kind of painful, you know. So. Yeah, I mean, what's a, what's amazing to me is that if if you pay attention, your your body tries to tell you mm-hmm. that you're on the wrong path. Um, but I think lots of people, I mean myself included at the time, I just ignored it. I just thought, well, you know, I'm getting older or whatever, and this is part of it. Um, but no, it's uh, there are things, there are ailments that are directly well, I would say, I'd say most of the ailments that people have um, are born from what you eat. 
I've discovered that over the course of all these years doing research and trying to understand the body chemistry and, and understand exactly what's going on. Yeah. And uh, it appears to me, as far as I can tell, that I, I'd say maybe 95 to 96 percent of everything that bothers people comes from the food you eat. Well, I mean, I, I have to agree with you because I, you know, in doing this show for 20 years now, I've come across a, a lot of information. And uh, T. Colin Campbell of the China study was on the show. And I keep <laughs> keep forgetting whether he said it was uh, 80%. He said it was at least 80%. He may have said at least 90%, but I'm sure it was at least 80%. He said 80% or 90% of all fatal degenerative disease is caused by animal protein and not much of it. And so that's a, a very high percentage of very, you know, very costly to human life and families and... Uh, then, you know, I've had uh, Dr. Caldwell Esselstyn on the show, and he's, he has said nobody has to have heart disease. It's all diet-related, and he has the book uh, uh, Prevent and Reverse uh, Heart Disease. So, um, and then you said that maybe your father passed down these uh, illnesses to you, like the kidney stones or whatever, but maybe it was that your father and you were eating the same foods because, you know, my father died of a heart attack at age 47, and all of his brothers and sisters had heart problems. So, of course, I thought, wow, this is in the genes. I'm destined to have heart disease. I'll be lucky to live to 47. Uh, but it turned out everybody was eating the same thing. It wasn't the, the same genes. It was like the same plate you know so and uh so you said you grew up eating cuban food now were you aware now i grew up in new york i don't remember ever seeing a cuban restaurant i think i i saw italian restaurants and chinese restaurants mainly but i don't know if i really saw other ethnicities until i came out to california and it was in texas then i saw mexican food um and then uh, I think I was in Miami, and it's like Indian food. So it took me a while to actually um, discover various ethnic foods. But uh, do you remember, were there Cuban restaurants around New York City? Do you yeah, there's a famous one. Um, there's a famous one in the theater district called Victor's Cafe. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was a Cuban. That's a, I don't know if it's still there because New York City is partially shut down, so I'm not sure if they stayed in business or not. Uh, but that was a very famous place that my mother would take me to every year um, when we go see a show or something. I think it's on, I want to say it's like 8th Avenue and 40, 40th, I think. Mm-hmm. Something like that. It's right there in the heart. Oh, wow. Okay. So, and then what what would the food be that you were eating then? Uh, what were the dishes growing up? What What was the Cuban cuisine at home? Oh. Well, the Cuban cuisine at home was very heavy into, um, well, lots of meat, lots of, uh, lots of cow meat, lots of chicken, lots of pork. Uh, there's fish. There was other fowls as well, and every dessert had some kind of milk, condensed milk in it. I mean, it, Cuban, Cuban food is very unique in that it's, 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 it's a combination of, of, of a few things. Um, the Spanish cuisine that came from Spain, which was heavily influenced by the Moorish Empire that conquered Spain. So they had a lot of Arabic influence in their food already. And that came over to the tropical island of Cuba with all of its abundance. So you had that part. 
you had the African slaves that were part of the triangular trade. They contributed to Cuban food as well. And you had a lot of Chinese migrant workers uh, that came to Cuba as well. And they, they influenced the food too. So of all of the Latin American foods, I would, and I've had a lot of them, I would say Cuban is Cubans on the same level as uniqueness to, say, Mexican food. I think what Mexicans do with their chilies and how they take that heat and they just pop it in the right spots... That's that's an art form to me, and I think Cuban food, is kind of on that level. It's a very, I mean, it's almost a forgotten cuisine at this point because you don't really see it everywhere, and the, and the older fashioned recipes, the ones that I grew up, um, the pre Castro ones, you don't you don't see much of those people anymore, so you don't see many of those recipes anymore, and that to me is that's the food I grew up with, and that's that's the stuff that connects me to that island, that food and. The way my grandmother prepared it and just, uh, you know, I, I think personally it's, and, you know, I mean, obviously it's my opinion and I'm Cuban, but I think it's one of the best cuisines that you can ever come across. Mm. There was a, a, a restaurant in L.A., uh, I don't know if that managed to stay open, but uh, uh, did you uh, hear of uh, Ekelequa? Did you ever hear of Ekelequa Cuban Vegan um, Cafe? I have not, no. Okay, I'm not really sure they're still in business now because of the pandemic, but uh, yeah, so she was saying that she was the uh, first and only uh, vegan Cuban restaurant on the planet. Could that be? I mean, like, there's got to be more demand, so, and uh, so, so what were some of the, um, like, did the dishes have certain names, and yeah, of course they did, but, you know, like, what was, what, what were they like, or what would they called or what was unique well about. there's 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 some famous dishes um okay well one of the first famous ones that was put on the map uh was was put on the map by ernest hemingway uh, ernest hemingway wrote a book called the old man of the sea and uh at the end the main character asks for carne con papas carne con papas is meat and potatoes and it sounds you know it sounds mundane it's meat and potatoes but Cuban meat and potatoes is absolutely a striking dish. Uh, it's very flavorful. It's exactly what it is. It's meat and potatoes. But it, Cuban food is very heavily based on unique sauces that go with that. Um, almost all the sauces have, you know, some kind of wine component or cumin or or sofrito. I don't know if you ever heard of sofrito, but sofrito is the vegetables that go into the uh, into the meal before you actually cook the meal. And that's usually green peppers, onions, and garlic. Um, it all starts kind of the same, and it ends up uh, as these beautiful, unique dishes. Um, another one that's very famous, a, a very famous Cuban dish, is ropa vieja. Have you ever heard of that? No. Uh -uh. Ropa vieja literally translates into Spanish as old clothes. Um, and the reason they call it old clothes is because it's traditionally a shredded beef uh, dish. And when you pile the shredded beef on top of the dish, it looks like a pile of old clothes. Wow! Um, and that, if you had given me yeah. a second, I, I uh, was, uh, I, I actually, <laughs> I shouldn't say, but I, I did, I tutored Spanish. Um, I went to Stuyvesant High School, so it was all like everybody was into math and science. And then when I got there, I realized like, what am I doing in a math and science high school? So I kind of liked English and Spanish, and you know, while everybody else was, you know, ex, you know, making exploding the chem lab or whatever um i was figuring out how to conjugate verbs in um 
in Spanish. Not that I really remember my Spanish that well, but had you tested me on Ropa uh, Vieja, I might have been able to say that it was like, <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say like old wardrobe would have been my uh, guess So on the translation. Yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a good guess. That's a good guess. Wow. So um, I should say that we are talking to Raydel Hernandez, and his book is it's delicious, it's vegan, it's Cuban. And so you were, were there any other traditional dishes other than meat and potatoes and, and old laundry um, or old uh, clothing? Uh, it's funny that there's this really fancy restaurant in California where the governor ate, and it was called the French Laundry. And I'm thinking, how appetizing is that? What kind of name is that for a, you know, for a restaurant, right? And now it's like, what kind of name is that for a dish, old, you know, <laughs> old language? Yeah, it's funny. It's, uh, well, I mean, Spanish is a very direct language. There's no, there's no sugarcoating anything. It, you know, it is what it is. Mm -hmm. um, another, I guess another famous dish, I mean, it's, there's and, a lot and of you've them. made all of these vegan now. We should say that, you know, you've... Yes. Uh, You've evolutionized and revolutionized Cuban cooking now. So, okay. So, okay. You uh, giving another dish you were going to say now? What? Yeah, I think uh, another famous dish is called um, uh, caldo gallego, uh, which literally translates into Galician soup. Uh, it's more than a soup. It's, it's a soup. It's a meal, and it's made with potatoes and kale and turnips. Cubans were using kale long before it became popular in the vegan world. Wow. Uh, Oh yeah, sure. It's uh, it's completely vegan. I mean, some people, depending on the family, uh, yeah. Every Cuban food, every Cuban family has their own twist on a recipe. Uh, some people, you know, some Cuban people would put chorizo in inside the Galician soup, but you don't have to. It doesn't necessarily add anything extra to it. It's just putting chorizo in, in something that doesn't need it. Uh, but those three are pretty famous. Um, aside from you know a, a suckling roast pork pig. For Christmas, I mean, those are staple hallmark dishes of Cuban cuisine. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I uh, I think I remember when we were talking about food in Spanish class. There, one was uh, arroz con pollo. Was oh that, yeah, was that? Uh, I thought, uh, well, that sounds as simple as meat and potatoes. What's the deal here? You know. So. Well, it's it's with Cuban. In food, it's never as simple as meat and potatoes. Uh, arroz con pollo is literally rice with chicken, which sounds mundane, uh, but it isn't. It's um, it's made together in a pot. It uses beer. Um, it has sour orange marinated in it, garlic, cumin, uh, green peppers, red peppers, green peas, mushrooms. It's a whole collection of, of food that goes in there. I substitute seitan for the um, for the chicken in that recipe, or you can substitute soy soy curls as well. It works very well. It's it's actually my teenage son's favorite dish that I make, um, and it comes. It also has saffron in it. It's a saffron based uh, meal. It really is delicious. It's um, I mean, if you've never had it, you should, because it will impress you. It's um, it's much more. It's much more than just rice with you know. A quote unquote uh, uh, chicken. It's uh, arroz sin uh, pollo. Arroz sin pollo. In in our case. Arroz sin pollo. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Exactly. So um, so you you ate all all of these uh, what seemed like delicious uh, 
foods and dishes growing up and uh you know now you veganize them but the the problem is as delicious as they were uh it led to your gout and concern about heart disease and uh and the kidney stone so um so then you you went into researching being vegan then so what were you discovering then as you you wanted to resist first right it's like oh you know couldn't you just give me some pills right but um yeah so uh you you started learning about being vegan so what 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 did you learn then on uh you know on, on that educational path there well you know it's it's funny now like when i think back how much i didn't know um and now that I know so much, it seems kind of, um, I don't know, it just, just seems strange to be so ignorant of, of the things that make you sick. Um, I started my research with the gentleman that you mentioned before, Dr. Campbell, and um, the other doctor that has a longer name. I forgot his name already. The, the two guys from uh, uh, Knives, uh, Forks Over Knives, that was the first documentary I saw. And uh, I took it a step further. I... Um, I contacted, in the credits, they show you uh, the researchers and everything, and I contacted those folks and I asked for, for research, and they were, whatever they can send me, they sent. So I, I, I read as much as I could, uh, because I'm, I'm not the type of person that is just going to take your word for it. I, I encourage everybody, if, if you're going to follow this path, you know, read about it, because there's a lot of information that has been known for decades uh, that's not necessarily advertised out, out there. And um, when you read it in black and white, it's very striking how um, how much is actually known about the food that you eat and how it affects your life, you know, in a bad way. And being a vegan is is almost the most simplistic solution that you can come with uh, come up with to to lead a healthier life. And that's kind of what I got out of that. I mean, I I read it. I I, I contacted Dr. Gregor. I don't know if you're familiar with Dr. Gregor. He has the um, nutritionalfacts.org. Mm-hmm. Um, website, yes. mm-hmm. and I got information there, and I, I I just kept reading and reading and reading, and I was like I said, I was stunned to find out that everything I was reading was already known. <laughs> it's just not it's just not out there in the in the in the regular world marketplace. Like you have to really dig to find right. out the truth, you know. And it's it's right. a shame. Yeah. Well, you it, know, it's you almost can... like. Sorry. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I was I was gonna say it's. It's almost like they're they're keeping it from you to maintain a business, right? Because their their business is sick people, and without sick people, there's no business. So they're not going to show you how to solve your own problems, which I thought, and maybe I'm naive, I thought that that was kind of, you know, it was striking to me that that's not more readily available. Like, it should be common knowledge that plant-based food is much better for the human body than anything else. And it's just not out there. Well, yeah. I mean, it. I, I was going to interrupt you because I enthusiastically agreed at how well it's hidden, especially in the media, who are financed by, you know, the meat, dairy, fish, and egg industries and pharmaceuticals. So it's really not in their interest to um, really expose the truth. And it's uh, sad that that's the case. And it's sad that you know, so many of these so-called health organizations, you know, American Diabetes Association, you know, all these associations don't embrace being vegan as as the solution. It's uh, 
practically criminal. Um, you know, I had, uh, the show used to run on a station, what was it, KCAA, and uh, the owner, um, Fred Lundgren. Um, so he, um, he liked my show, so he wanted to carry it on, on his station. Um, and he did, so we conversed occasionally, and then one day I called him, and I said, well, how are you, Fred? And he said, well, Bob, you don't know this about me, but, um, I'm 400 pounds, I'm pretty much on my deathbed, no doctors can do anything with me, I mean, I think I'm pretty much, uh, reaching my end here. And I said, well, Fred, I don't know, my, my advice to everybody uh, for whatever it is, you know, health, or you want to save animals or do something for the environment. My, my advice is always, well, you have to look into going vegan. But I'm not going to be your vegan consultant now because of, you know, your physical condition. Uh, I want you to look into the work of Dr. Caldwell Esselstyn. And uh, again, here, here's somebody who was, you know, Fred was a former cattle rancher. Um, but... Uh, he, he took the advice and immediately started to lose weight and got healthy and was walking and went back to his old cardiologist. And he, he told the cardiologist, the, the cardiologist said to him, Fred, what have, what have you done? And Fred said he went vegan. And the cardiologist said, don't tell any of my other patients. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it, it's sad, but it's true. It's all, you know, uh, it's pharmaceuticals and surgery, you know, and uh, something as simple as kale or, I mean, you know, um, have, like, well, the, the largest Cuban communities in the, in the U.S., I, I guess, would be South Florida, right? So um, have, have you done anything to work at promoting your book among the Cuban community in Florida, and or how about back in Cuba to, you know, I mean, any any efforts to uh, uh, get people to switch over and, you know, which would make a, an amazing contribution to community health if people become aware of this and they see that they can still eat the dishes that uh, Abuela made. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm trying. I, I wrote the book and published it in October, so this is I'm only five months in. Mm-hmm. Um, I have reached out. Uh, there's some other podcasts that are that are Cuban. Um, there's a couple of celebrities uh, that were interested in speaking to me at some point. Um, I, I believe Daisy Fuentes is a is a vegan, oh. and I think my publicist contacted her, but we haven't been able to make any arrangements to to speak. And I think Gloria Estefan or her son might be vegan as well. I think they were contacted. Mm-hmm. I've been trying. Um, you know, look, I mean, it's veganism is 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 an amazing thing if you you embrace it, right? I mean, I don't I don't see too many Cuban people, you know, are that enthusiastic to uh, to look at it. But I mean, like, but then again, I shouldn't say that because I started with my own family, and I was able to convert. You know, several people in my family who I never thought would convert. And uh, I think it's because what I've discovered in all these years is, you know, the, the animal flesh that you're cooking uh, doesn't have any particular flavor. I mean, the only flavor that meat has in general is whatever flavor you give it. 
Um, and if that's the case, I mean, if, if you take any flavor neutral plant um, product or protein and you put it into a recipe that has lots of spices and condiments, you, you're not going to, I mean, I'm not going to, it would be dishonest to say that it's a one for one copy, but it's, it's very close. It's so close that it doesn't make a difference if it's chicken or soy curls, you know, like no one cares. Uh, it's been my experience, even with people, you know, that like for the uh, folks that I work with, um, all of them are carnivores. I'm the only vegan. They know I am. They, they know that I'm a vegan. And when I bring in things for them to, to try, you know, I, I've never had any pushback that it doesn't taste good or if anything, it's all been positive. They've all said, well, look, you know, if I can eat like this every day, I would. And, uh, I hear was, that all the time. You know, that's, right. <laughs> that's and, the way uh, it is. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I we said, we do have the best food and we're foodies. We like to eat. You know, it's not it's not cardboard. It's not just iceberg lettuce. I mean, it's, uh, you know, and, and like you say, I mean, if all if all you do is replace, you know, the kind of the texture uh, of, of, of meat, uh, you know, the. You know, a lot of things, tofu or uh, mushrooms or whatever, will take on the flavor of gravies or sauces or whatever, and you don't miss it, you know. But uh, but I'm sure that the people who, you know, re resist wanting to go vegan um, often have families with a lot of health problems, you know. So it's like, uh, you know, it's 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 an amazing contribution to. Um, solve health issues in a community and uh also you know continue the culture i guess food is a big part of everyone's culture right it's uh oh well, yeah i mean what else is there but food and you know family i mean family. if you really boil it down there's not much more yeah. and it's funny if you if you pay attention um and i've been paying quite a bit of attention since i, since I became a vegan you start I mean, now I'm not, I'm not a doctor, so you know whatever I say here, I'm just a guy that lives now in New Jersey that wrote a cookbook. But I, I've noticed that specific families have specific ailments, and it's um, when you really start peeling back the onion, you start to realize that you know it probably is the food. Because I remember my um, my mother's first cousin is a woman named Candy, and Candy married an Italian man. His name was John. And uh, John died pretty early. He died like at 63, right, right after retirement. And he died from esophagus, esophagus cancer. And I thought that was so odd because he didn't smoke. He didn't, you know, he didn't do anything to his esophagus to cause this. Uh, but then I started speaking to my mom about, you know, Candy and, and her late husband, John. And, you know, my mother reminded me that John is an Italian guy. And John, all his life, Love to eat salamis and super sots and cheese and blah blah blah, and he suffered his entire life from acid reflux, to the point where he had to buy he had to get a prescription for like the medical version of like Melanta or whatever it is that you take to call your stomach. And I started thinking, I'm like, you know what? I bet you after 30 years of your stomach acid coming up your esophagus, that at some point you probably do get like esophagus cancer from it. Sure. What else could it be? You know, like if it if it isn't, I read. I think it might have been Dr. Campbell that said it. That I think it's something like ninety four percent or ninety six percent, some big number of cancers are all environmental, and only four or five percent are genetically caused. If you start thinking about that, and you start thinking hard about how people eat and what they die from, you start to connect dots that maybe aren't there because I'm not a doctor. 
but it kind of sticks out like a sore thumb, you know? Like, for example, um, I read this, I, I forget where I read it or if I saw it in a documentary, and I think it's very odd um, that it's on yogurt containers, but, you know, for the longest time, as far as I can remember, the, the, the protein that's in uh, cow's milk, I think it's called casein, uh, casein has a direct correlation to breast cancer that's as strong as cigarette smoking does to lung cancer. So it's like medically known that this thing triggers something in women that creates breast cancer. And somehow that made it on its way that that little pink uh, bow for breast cancer awareness is now all over yogurt containers, which is the oddest thing in the world, right? Because Ironic. Uh, it's crazy. It's like... Uh... It's like saying, don't eat what's in this container. R read the container, then, you know, throw it away. Uh, right. It's, it's, and how, like, how do they, how do they, it, 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 it's too much of a coincidence not to be a conspiracy. Like, it has to be that they know. Right? <laughs> they know, and so they're trying to hide it in, in plain sight. So they put it on the container. It couldn't possibly be in the container because we're, it's, we have right. it written on there, so don't and, worry. <laughs> yeah, and we and we care about you enough that we put the the bow on this on this container that you purchase every time you purchase this cancer causing thing that you're going to eat. Mm. Some money gets donated to cancer breast awareness. Yeah, it's the or, oddest or, thing or, in the world or, to me. Or some administrator uh, somewhere or whatever. Some, you know. So and and I understand that in dairy there's uh, insulin growth factor and that uh, relates to growing. Well, growing cows big really fast, but also growing tumors in people like breast cancer and prostate cancer. So, oh, yeah. You know, oh, so, uh, yeah, T. Colin Campbell said that the dairy protein is the number one carcinogen to which Americans are exposed. And, you know, going back to before when we were talking about pastrami and hot dogs or, you know, and salami is included in that and sausages and whatever, that's all considered processed meat and the world health organization officially called processed meat a carcinogen to humans and then about it said about red meat it's probably a carcinogen but i think i think they know you know and i think another really good resource is the um, physicians committee for responsible medicine pcrm.org that uh, also has a lot of uh, really, really good information there. And, you know, when I was going vegan, I thought it would be detrimental to my health. You know, everybody's saying, ah, you're going to die if you eat like that. How do you get your protein? You know, all of that kind of stuff, as usual. Oh, yeah. Well, that's that's another thing, too, that's um, it's very odd. Now, you know, I mean, hindsight is crystal clear, right? So when I was beginning to become a vegan, you know, all the things you don't know, and, and one of the things that is striking to me now is is the misinformation. Like for example, I was talking to my sister. My sister is uh, one of these um, CrossFit people. I mean, she looks amazing. She's very fit. She's very strong, but she eats all the wrong things for the sake of vanity, right? Because that's the only way they can get ripped. Um, but in, just recently, I was having this conversation with her, and she was like, "Well, you know, isn't isn't animal protein like a higher grade of protein than plant protein?" And I remember talking to her, I was like, there's no such thing as animal protein. I mean, an animal eats a plant, it gets the protein from that plant, and when you eat the recycled flesh of the cow, I mean, you're, when you eat the flesh of the cow, all you're observing is recycled plant protein. And all the negative health 
you know, uh, benefit, uh, negative health uh, things that come with eating animal flesh. There's no such thing as animal protein. Mm. And that's sold in the marketplace like that exists. And people right. think, you know, people think that, well, I have to have a hamburger because how, how else would I get my protein? Well, the same way the cow got it. I mean, eat the plants. You know, right. that's, yeah. it's, it's so strange. I think a lot of it is just, is, is just ignorance, I think. And, and, you know, and I, was, I was part of that, too. Like, I had no idea until I started actually reading everything. And I'll tell you one thing, Bob. One, one of the things that I think one of the best positive things that came out of being a vegan, and, I, and this is the one thing that I try to tell everybody, Okay, whether you want to do it or not, once you do it, you unburden yourself of all the worry associated with your health. Like, I don't think anymore, well, maybe I shouldn't have had that extra piece of chicken, or maybe I shouldn't eat that, or maybe I got to cut down on red meat. All these things disappear, and magically, your health just improves all by itself. Everything improves your skin, your hair your sleep cycle. I mean, all these things just happen. And I, and I truly believe that, you know, I, I believe that humans, humans evolved to be plant eaters. I mean, we have a mutation, I think, which allows us to eat animals in case we can't find plants. Maybe that, that might ring true a little bit because we can't process it. But I don't think at the end of the day we're supposed to eat that because your body just reacts to all the, other, all the plant food so beautifully. I mean, to the point where it heals itself, which... No one talks about it. You would think that that would be front page news. You know, like a, a friend of mine cured his own heart disease by just becoming vegan. I mean, he had a heart attack. You know, a few years later, after being a vegan, it no longer exists. Now, he's obviously categorized as a cardiac patient the rest of his life because they'll never let him off the hook there. But he, according to his doctors, there's no evidence that he ever had heart disease or any kind of heart attack. I mean, that's... Heart disease is the number one killer in this country, and it's self-inflicted, yeah. and it's allowed to happen, which, I mean, I guess, you know, that's me being naive again, right? It's a big business, but you would think that somewhere along the line, some, someone would have, some organization would have the conscience to say, you're doing this to yourself, and here's what we recommend you do. That that organization is Go Vegan Radio. <laughs> we had we had no choice. Nobody else was saying it, and I I can have actual doctors on the show who who say you know exactly what you're saying. Like I said, with Dr. Esselstyn of the Cleveland Clinic, and you know his book Prevent and Reverse Heart Disease. It's all what's on our plate. That's really basically you know what it, what it comes down to so so what happened to you when you went vegan so you were you were suffering gout and having your uh big toe problems kidney stones whatever so what what happened to you over what period of time when you now it's what 13 years ago that you went vegan yeah so immediately the gout disappeared um immediately i was eating twice as much as i normally eat and i was losing weight I think after six months, I was down uh, 35, 40 pounds without even trying. And uh, within the first three months, I, did, I went to go get a blood test to see what my cholesterol level was, and it had dropped 100 points. And uh, I remember the doctor asking me, you know, did, did I prescribe, like, cholesterol medicine to you? I said, no. He's like, well, how's your cholesterol down so much? And I said, I just stopped eating animal products. And, uh, and that's how that went. And what I, what I noticed... 
there's details that I, I guess don't mean much to people who aren't like who are who are non-vegans. Like I, I noticed it in my skin. Not that I had bad skin to begin with, but my skin completely improved um, noticeably to the point where people would ask me what I was doing to my skin. Uh, my hair changed. Everything changed. I mean, it's your muscle tone. It's almost like it's almost like your body finds its level and automatically you shrink to the size that you're supposed to be and you're never tired. Like that's one thing that I, I'm, I'm almost 50. I'm never tired. I don't, I don't have the need for sleep like I did before. I don't have that. That's the one thing that, that two o'clock dip in energy that you get at work never comes anymore. It doesn't show up. Uh, even working out, like I, I don't have the time to work out as much as I used to because I have two small children and between this book and my regular job, it doesn't leave me a whole lot of time to work out. But when I do work out, I don't feel sore ever, which is an amazing thing to me. Like I lift weights and the next day I'm expecting it still and it, it never happens. So all of these things, you know, just reinforce the idea in my head that most of these ailments that people suffer from, most of the ailments that people make, a, that become a bigger deal because you just assume as a small little ailments all come from the food you eat all of it and um i mean i'm not, and i'm not saying you know vegans can live forever because we all have to die from something but what's the what's the point of killing yourself to to eat that piece of cheese i mean is <laughs> is cheese that amazing to you that you you know you, you want to shave off some years of your life you know for, for the sake of a, a little blue cheese it makes no sense to me yeah, killing yourself or or killing anyone else, right, for that matter, then, because uh, what happens to animals is obviously totally unnecessary also, just just for taste. I mean, for people, just for the momentary uh, pleasure of the palate, uh, they're willing to sacrifice everyone and everything, including their health, you know? So. Oh, sure, and not to mention how unsustainable the uh, the agricultural industry is. I mean, it, you know, it depends on what, what you read, but... I've read some statistics that, that say that the, um, the raising of cattle for slaughter uh, uses more water than fracking does. Mm. And yet people are always up in arms about fracking, but no one ever mentions the, uh, the, these animal farms. And, you know, if you think about it, right, like, it all kind of makes sense in a way. Like, you can almost thread the needle. It's like cows need to have pasture, right? So... They don't, they don't grow up in jungles, so everywhere there's, everywhere there's a meat industry, there's going to be the leveling of forests to make pasture. Sure. And that leveling of forests, I'm sure, I mean, although I can never prove it, but I'm sure it somehow contributes to climate change. Because these forests disappear for animals that aren't even indigenous to the areas where they're raising them. I mean, look how much, look how much of the rainforest has been cut down in Brazil for the sake of cattle. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, all these things have environmental impacts that you know are longer term even though the profits may be short term and at the end of the day as the as the and this is my view i'm not a scientist or anything but i think that the population growth of people is going to exceed any population growth of animals so you're going to have at the end of the day you're going to have to have non-animal uh, products in order to in order to somehow subsidize the the um the expensive nature of 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 all the foods that you can eat i mean we're going to get to a point where 
you know, there's maybe $18 gallons of milk because the demand for the milk is much more than the cows can produce. So I'm not surprised that all these vegan milks have come out, you know, from from uh, oats to almonds to whatever, because the, the cow milk itself is unsustainable and they know it. And I, and I don't know this to be fact, but I, if, if I would make you a gentleman's bet that the major food companies are the ones that are making these vegan uh, type of milks and, and other type of animal products because they know at the end of the day that the price of animals is just going to keep going up and it's unsustainable. And not to mention, I mean, you know, I mean, obviously these animals suffer. It's cruel. They're in these temporary housing units like the cows. What is that method of the cows where they walk them in a big circle only to be killed at the end so they don't get stressed out? I mean, all these things don't need to happen. And everything would be so much less. I mean, think about the cost of vegetables and grains and, and, and beans and rice and all the other things compared to, you know, compared to the price of chicken per pound. You know, it's, it's usually 10 times more than it would be. Everything, everything across the board is better when you don't have animal products. And it's cheaper and easier, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh, I agree. I, th- I think, you know, animal agriculture is the uh, most destructive environmental force. I mean, in terms of, you know, like we say, climate change or, you know, deforestation, um, pollution, water scarcity, uh, resource depletion, all, all, you know, like every environmental problem, mass extinction, habitat destruction, uh, all because we don't have to use so much land. I mean, a study came out and said we could use 75% uh, less land uh, and still feed all humans on Earth. And so if we were to go vegan, and that would free land the size of Africa for, um, you know, forest re- uh, restoration, species recovery. I mean, it's it, it kind of solves everything. Like, and, you know, the, you got the message from your big toe. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, uh, ama- amazing. Like, uh, I still, I'm, I'm hoping that doctor in Fort Lee, New, New Jersey is listening today and uh, <laughs> gets a copy of your book. It's delicious. It's vegan. It's Cuban. So, yeah. So, uh yeah, so how do people get the book or get in touch or Well, the book is on Amazon, so you can buy it, you can purchase it there. Um I also have a website uh that's called vegancubano.com. Uh you can purchase it on the website as well. Um and those are the two spots where you can purchase the book. Yeah. You know, when you were saying um I was just thinking having this thought fairly recently when you, when you said, well, basically we are herbivores. Uh, physiologically, we we resemble herbivores, and um, I think that it, it seems to me that the eating of animals and their secretions and excretions probably came in hard times, like as an emergency or like uh, that. That that's how I, because. Normally, we should be repulsed by eating, you know, decomposing body parts or whatever comes out of a chicken's, you know, cloaca or whatever. Um, And I think then suddenly, or you know, we're hiding, we're hiding what's repulsive under, you know, sauces. It's not even recognizable anymore. And you know, anything tastes good with, you know, onions and green peppers or garlic or whatever. So then we, we, you know, kind of lose track of uh, 
the reality there. But uh, we're we're herbivores, and we should be we should be repulsed what's nor- by what's normally on the plate, you know. So yeah, and um, you know, I mean, look, it's it's. I happen to think that it's some type of survival mechanism, right? So if there's if you have incredible droughts and there's nothing else to eat, even though you're supposed to eat plant food, you know, survival. I mean, look, people can become cannibals in the worst circumstances, right? So I think that that's some kind of evolutionary little feature that was built in. But I, I don't think that you're supposed to. I don't think we're built for it. I mean, if you, if you compare us to to real carnivores, I mean, you know, we have these tiny little, you know, leftover canines that, I mean, I can't even, you can't even, I can't even pierce like an apple well <laughs> with my canine, you know? Uh-huh. But if you look at like other animals, like, you know, tigers and stuff, I mean, clearly they're built to take down animals and eat them. And, you know, very few creatures on the earth are built like that. I mean, you know, aside from big cats and fish, you know, everything else is kind of a plant eater. And uh, I think we fall into that category. And, you know, there's, there's lots of evidence to suggest it, and people just gloss over it. Like, you know, the very fact that we can see in color suggests that we're supposed to be eating fruits, right? Because we can identify, the, you know, the ripe fruit from the green fruit. And, and not every animal has colored vision. That's because we're supposed to be selecting these foods. Um, and just, just the physiology of it. I mean, as soon as you leave animal products, like I said before, your body levels out. You know, you have no cholesterol issues. You have no high blood pressure. I mean, I guess some people would have high blood pressure because it's related to weight as well. But even your weight drops, everything just... It's its so simple, Bob, and it works so well that it has to be true. That's thats how I look at it. Yeah. And everybody, you know, any any anybody that contests it, you can contest it, but the science is on my side. Okay, that's the reality of it. If you're science-based... And you're going to follow the science, then everything indicates that we shouldn't be eating animals. And it's too hard. I mean, you said you said before about the, um, you know, how everything covered in sauce tastes good. You know, w- the food nowadays, you don't even think about the animal because it's not even presented like it's an animal. I mean, a chicken nugget is a breaded piece of anything, yeah. you know, and, and people consume it and they don't even think that it's chicken. You know, if it was something else, like I, I buy occasionally for my, uh, for my son, I'll buy the vegan version of popcorn chicken or whatever they call it, right? You know, it's indistinguishable. I can't tell that it's chicken or not. You know, it's, it's come to that point. Now, I, I'm not a big promoter of these processed foods because I think that you should probably cook everything in your house yourself just to make sure that you know every single ingredient that goes in there. And plus, it's a more traditional way. I mean, I, I think that and you know people may not have this opinion but I, I think that i think that it's a you make a better family if if you cook your own food for your for your family right for your children as opposed to buying and then, then there's nothing wrong with buying the processed stuff i just think that when other people handle your food you you, you bring in problems you know they, they may not they may put things in there like chemicals to preserve it that you wouldn't normally eat but you know it's still vegan quote unquote but I don't know. I mean, I, I, think if you, I think if you're still a meat eater in today's age, you don't have to be. Because I had like an Impossible Burger just to try it out at Burger King. And I got to tell you, it's, it's so close. I don't see how anyone can say it isn't meat. Now, is that a vegan thing to eat? 
in my opinion, it isn't because it's processed and it comes from a restaurant. And, you know, I, I think and, that and they don't separate it when cooking. So I think it's uh, cooked with the uh, other meat products there, too. I thought it was microwave, but I could be oh, wrong. Really? Well, I don't know that from what I heard. You might, you might be right. Uh, I'm not sure. I, I honestly don't know, but I know where you're coming from. I mean, it's all mixed on the same grill, so it, it can't be vegan. But it's still better than not eating it, right? So if you, had a, if, if you have a choice between a regular hamburger and that, I think that's the better choice. But I don't promote that. I think that people should cook for their families in their houses and, and learn how to cook and make meals. That's, that's my opinion. That's how I grew up, anyway. Yeah, yeah, I think that's uh, that's the preferred way with the, uh, you know, the more natural ingredients, the fruits, vegetables, nuts, grains, seeds, and beans, and everything. Everything comes from that. So, yeah. So, so how's your book doing? How uh, uh, how are people responding? Um, people are responding real well to it. Um, I, you know, I'm surprised it's, um, how do I explain it? I never, well, when I, when I started writing the book, I I did it because I couldn't find the book that had vegan cuisine that was Cuban because I I made the decision that I was going to become a vegan. I was like, well, I, I can't leave all of these, I can't leave my culture behind because I'm, I'm very attached to it. And it, and, and it's the only thing that kind of bridges me to my past like you know the way the way a smell brings you to that place immediately from the first time you smelled it that's how I feel about the food that 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 my that I grew up with and when I made the decision I couldn't find any cultural books um, cookbooks that were Cuban that were vegan I could I found the only ones that really that are out there that are culturally based are kind of Indian food because there's a lot of vegetarian Indians um, but everything else is like, you know, stews and books about stews, books about cauliflower steaks. And, you know, and I'm sure that those recipes are delicious, but it wasn't my culture. So then I was like, well, then I guess I'm just going to have to figure out a way to do this. So I started experimenting with all these different proteins and I started using my grandmother's recipes. And then I started writing the book, but I did it for myself. And as I wrote the book, I started realizing that it's kind of a testament to my grandmother. Uh, and it's kind of like a testament to all the family members in my in my memory, and it became a cookbook slash, you know, m- uh, mem- family, a, a way to memoir. Me- yeah, family memoir, a way to immortalize my grandmother, and it became that. And it it's a personal thing to me. Like the things that I wrote in this book. Even though there's recipes, there's an introduction, and every recipe has a little uh, paragraph above it uh, that I wrote from when the first time I, you know, tried the recipe or where it comes from. It's all very personal to me, and I never expected people to to gravitate to the personal part of the book as they have. Like I've had so many people tell me this is this is not your normal book. There isn't a perfect, you know. Um, a perfect, uh, what do you call that, Snapchat picture in here that's not that kind of book. I didn't write it, I didn't write it to sell it. And now I'm, now I'm selling it and I'm, I'm happy that I am because people are responding to it. But it's very odd when you take something that's deeply personal and you put it out there and people like it. And I've never had that experience. Like I've never created anything that I put the market 
and you know just by i guess you know kismet or whatever you know predestination people like it and i don't know i'm i'm a little shocked um about the success that i'm having with it i mean i haven't sold a million books or anything but i've sold more than i thought i ever would Uh (laughs) which which i don't know i mean it's that's great yeah it makes me it makes me proud and it makes me um even more humble like i can't i can't believe it so i don't know i mean have you ever had any feelings like that like i I don't know how to express it i don't know what it is i'm trying to say with that oh yeah all the time no problem all the time (laughs) (laughs) well i don't i don't know i mean i uh I, 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 I like the, you know, I was in radio and I was the program director of radio station. So, I, you know, I, I kind of put out the music that I felt people would like. And very often that's, uh, I have something online, radiobobby.com. But uh, in New York, I was hired to be the program director of uh, WPIX FM. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So I went back there. Um, to to change the format but it didn't last long because of the corporate environment and the consultants and everything but the time i had putting it on the air um i don't i don't know if you remember well you're uh, you're a bit younger than i am but i grew up listening to uh, the wmca good guys and there was a guy on there named jack specter so i got hired uh, for wpix and you know there's jack specter working on the afternoon shift you know suddenly like He's working for me. I'm Jack Spector's boss, you know, and uh, <laughs> he's a WMCA good guy. How can I be his boss? And, uh, you know, I changed the format around the music format. And Jack Spector said to me, I've never seen the phones light up like this, you know, with pertaining to music. And uh, so, you know, that, you know, that was the kind of thing that, you know, I felt like I was, uh, bringing happiness to people. I, you know, programmed the station, uh, Jazzy 100, Washington, D.C., or Love's 94, Miami. Um, and, you know, also in doing this talk show for 20 years and trying to, you know, really represent animals and, try, you know, I mean, so um, I, I, I can relate to what you're saying and putting out what's personal and uh, feeling like... Uh, like it's doing something out there, you know, so, um, so I just keep doing it, you know, for, you know, cause related purposes. I mean, there's a certain, uh, moral good to your producing this book. I mean, you're, you're putting out something that really, if it would take off in the Cuban community could make a very big difference in the health of the community, you know, and, uh, you know, like, I can tell uh, you're, you know, you're relating to the audience. That's how you are. So uh, I think it's great. Um, Now, did you uh, argue with consultants over, you would say, uh, it's delicious, it's vegan, it's Cuban? Or would you, how about, how about it's Cuban, it's vegan, it's delicious? Or was this always the order, delicious, vegan, Cuban? (laughs) Well, it's it's funny that you you bring that up. It's... um... This book kind of came together by itself. So that title, my friend that I work with, his name is Lloyd Lodza, and he's going to be a famous person one day. Uh, On his own. He is now. uh, You just mentioned him. Exactly. (laughs) But no, he's working on a couple of things himself that uh, I think is going to put him on the map. But 
he all by himself when when he found out that I was writing this book and uh, I had told him all the you know the things about my my family and and these recipes that I've had for so many years. He came with a uh, a legal pad, and one night he wrote down all these titles that he thought I would like, and he came up with I swear it's got to be twenty two, twenty three titles. And uh, as I'm reading them, this one struck me. And uh, so it's not my title; it's his creation. But he he gave it to me, so it's on my book. Um, that's how that came together. And you know, the the picture on the cover is my grandmother. It's a very blurry picture, but I don't care. It's her. And uh, she's on my cover and on the back of the book. These are pictures that are on my walls. I mean, the back of the book is uh, Christmas Eve, 1940-something in Cuba. And uh, my grandparents are there when they're young. And my mother and my Uncle Tony and all my aunts. And this this picture is actually short. And there's another section of it that's got more people in it. Um, and this is just all the people that influenced me in my life. And, you know, they so, tell me great so things. Did, what, did, did they talk to you about life in Cuba or coming here from Cuba? Like what, 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 what did they say? Like you know, when, about you know living there or or coming here? Or, you know, did you well, what talk? they what they what they told me mostly um, was how wonderful a place it was and um, how they never wanted to leave it um, and how well the thing that was very striking compared to now is how close in culture it was to the United States back then. Um, as a matter of fact, if you think about it, right, the I Love Lucy show is a Cuban show. And I think, I could be wrong, but I think it's the first, you know, crossover show that ever existed in, in the United States. And as a kid, I remember Ricky Ricardo, you know, singing Baba Lou on television in Yonkers and then walking around the neighborhood, you know, watching all these other kids singing Babalu. <laughs> it was very funny. But those are the things that I got from it. And, and you know, the things that are just lost now. Like, for example, you know, my, my mother's uncles, my great uncles, these are all people that influenced me. They were incredible baseball fans. I mean, they knew about Joe DiMaggio and Mickey Mantle. They knew all the stats. They were baseball fans. And that was brought, you know, obviously that's an American culture brought to Cuba. You know, I remember stories that they would tell me that uh, Cuba was was the test market for GM. Okay, so when GM thought that they had a car that could be a hit in the United States, they would bring it to the Cuban market first. And if the Cubans liked it, you know, then then they would roll it out for the rest of the country. And, uh, you know, it was a small little market, but it was very, very close in culture. And that's why you see all these leftover, you know, cars from the 1950s there, because obviously when Castro put... Uh, Cuba under communist rule, all those American companies left, and they left stockpiles of whatever was in Cuba at the time, and that's why you see all these people driving these old, you know, 58, 57, 56 Chevys and and Buicks and all that. That's where that comes from. Uh, But, you know, everything, you know what it's like? I guess it's kind of like, you know, the, the, the nostalgia of a Norman Rockwell painting to me, except Cuban. Like well, I, I you see, know, except Cuban, except I'm I'm living my youth uh, through you here today. It seems because you know I I was born in '51, so those um, those Chevys, you know, those cars from the '50s are like that's that's my youth. You know, Ricky Ricardo, that's that's really my youth also. You know, when you when you talk about that, and now now you mention Yonkers. 
<laughs> this yeah. is a this is a trip down memory lane for me too. So, yeah, yeah. So those those are the things that you know I grew up you know understanding about Cuba and you know as you get older you really start to to realize that the uh, the older generations really they got it right like they they understand I mean it's not perfect but you know it, they just seem to be wiser people gentler people you know I don't know it seemed better to me and. And that's and obviously I'm romanticizing lots of things, right? Because it comes from my family and everything. But that's how, that's how I view it, and, and and it's a very close connection to me. Like, it's a shame that all that was lost, um, and all these people. It's even a greater shame that these older generations. I mean, I just went to visit my father last week. He was in Florida. He's 82. I can't believe it. So when he dies, I'm the generation that you know. If I want to carry this tradition to my family, I'm the only one that can do it. So, you know, it's 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 nice and it's sad, all mixed up together. <laughs> yeah, you know? yeah. So, so you said they never really wanted to leave Cuba. So, how was it? How was their experience? You know, when they came over here, like. Well, they were all very happy to be here. Um, my family was very lucky because my grandfather. Um, on my mother's side, had dual citizenship with Spain. So when things got ugly in Cuba, uh, they left through Spain. And, uh, I mean, you know, truth be told, my, my grandfather was a very successful, you know, rags to riches kind of guy uh, in Cuba. His whole story, I should write a book about him because he's got an amazing story. Uh, but anyway, he had the money and the resources to move everybody, all the immediate family members and extended family members out of Cuba through the Canary Islands, and he was such a selfless guy. Like, he spent every dime he had to get those people out of Cuba and bring them here. And then when they got here, you know, he was probably my age, I would imagine. I estimated him, I think he was like 47, 48. And, you know, they're all in a new country. Uh, they don't speak the language. My grandfather spoke a little bit of English, but it's not like he had to use it in Cuba. And uh, he had to start... You know, had to start from scratch. He uh, he got a job as a as the guys. You know those giant uh, spools of wire. He had to. He was the guy that would wrap those spools of wire at the Felt Stodge factory in Yonkers on the Hudson River. That's where he had. It's the only job he can get. And uh, he saved as much money as he could. Somehow bought a house. Somehow bought a, f a hardware store on Dykeman Street in the uh, Washington Heights I lived section. on I lived on Dykeman Street. <laughs> well then you then you <laughs> saw my grandfather's hardware store. Eight it was M and M H hardware. Right there on Dykeman Street. That was his. You and know, like uh, kinda of where uh, Dykeman reaches the Harlem River, you know, Harlem River Drive there. Yeah, yeah, sure. The the projects there. Yep. So his store was almost in the center of where the projects start and where the Hudson River, you know, meets on the other side. It was right there in the center. And he somehow managed to do that, put his two kids through college, and then died of a stroke at the age of 64. And I never heard the man complain once. Never. He was not that kind of guy. He just did what he had to do to protect his family at all costs. And he was the only person that worked because my grandmother didn't work. And he did it all gracefully. And I don't see people like that anymore. Like, you don't see people that don't complain 
and just keep going forward. And that was my grandfather. And, you know, my whole family was like that, just, you know, survivors and people that always optimistic, you know, even, I mean, think about the catastrophe that happened to them. Like their whole life stopped. All the money they had that they had was taken. I mean, you know, or worthless for that matter. And they had to leave. They had to scramble and go with kids. And somehow, you know, they, they landed on their feet and they, they created generations that now I'm fostering, right? Because I have children and, in my opinion, you know, nobody, nobody died a millionaire or a billionaire, but those are the most successful people that I've ever encountered in my life are my grandparents. And um, I'm even getting choked up talking about it. <laughs> but uh, that's, just, uh, that's just where we come from. And I don't know. I mean, it just seems to me... It seems appropriate to, to write something about my grandmother and my grandparents and, and all these wonderful recipes that they fed us with. And I don't know. It just seems right. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So <laughs> that's great. Uh, I, I, I doubt that they were ever saying, well, we hope our grandson grows up to be a vegan cookbook writer. But uh, <laughs> they should have thought that. I think you're right in line with... Uh, I, they they'd be proud of you. So what can I say? And I'm I'm cho- I'm, I'm all choked up because you're taking me back to where I lived as a little kid. Like, who? How? Why would you be mentioning Dykeman Street? This is so amazing. And Yonkers, where we, you know, it's amazing. Like, uh, I don't know. Maybe I yeah. was. Maybe I did go to their hardware store. You know, Dykeman Street was you know a bunch of stores there. I think there was Weiss's toy store, and then this candy store that i think was was it dykeman and nagel now suddenly i'm saying nagel avenue for some weird reason in my head but uh and then you know that was a walk uh for me from the project to ps 152 uh, my yeah my, there my you elementary go school there PS and you're 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 out in san francisco right yeah i'm in the bay area now so yeah so what are the odds of uh running into someone that somehow has so much background with you on a podcast i i'm on one side of the country you're on the other side of the country right right it's uh, no you keep mentioning things and wait i you know that i I can relate to that right you know so maybe we live all lived in the same apartment together if we really get down to you know where we're yeah. listen it's a it's a small world but i wouldn't want to paint it you know yeah exactly <laughs> Well, Raydell, it's uh, been a pleasure talking to you. Really great to connect. And uh, I would ask if there's anything else you wanted to mention that we didn't get to, but, you know, is there? No, I don't think so. I think we spoke about pretty much everything. Yeah. Well, we, we I mean, I want to thank you again. Thanks for the opportunity to, to be on your show. I really, um, it's an honor to me. I, look, I'm not, I'm not like a celebrity. I'm not a doctor. I'm just a guy that uh, was very close to his grandparents, and I wrote a book about them and the food that I love, and I appreciate the opportunity to speak to you about it. Like I said, I'm, I'm no one particularly special, and I'm not, not a celebrity of any type, and it's an honor to me that you'll actually have me on your show. Well, uh, thank you so much, but how does one become a celebrity? You, you write a book like yours, right? <laughs> so. Well, I don't know. I mean, that's uh, yeah. I don't think I can ever be a celebrity i'm not you know i'm not built like that yeah well i'm i'm not either i'm just a guy 
also, I'm just a guy who, uh, you know, I walked from the projects to PS 152, and I, I liked music. Basically, I got into radio because all my friends, I, I went to Queens College, and all my friends came over on Friday nights, and, uh, you know, I, I picked the music, and I was on the Queens College radio station, you know, just because I liked music. I listened to uh, WNEW-FM when I was in college. Um, that sure. was a big station. Back then, I actually got to visit the station and never really thought that I, you know, I thought, well, what am I going to do? Like, I I think I'd like to be in radio, but I don't know, or should I be an English teacher or what? You know, let me let me go for the radio thing. So um, it never it never really feels like celebrity. It feels like, you know, you're supposed to do service, like, you know, bring happiness to people or good informa- information that can help them or help animals or whatever so um i'm not much impressed by celebrity necessarily either like uh other than you know i guess a successful successful actor or you know can memorize a lot of you know can memorize a lot that that's impressive you know but the the real celebrities you know are the people who do good in the world and make a contribution uh i think lately the vegans are the real celebrities, the real superheroes, because they're the ones who can save everything and everyone just by eating. And that, you know, that's that's what's so important. I mean, over the years, uh, people have listened to my show and they say, all right, you've convinced me. I, OK, I, I want to go vegan. Like, but now what do I eat? What do I eat? You know, so it's always great when along comes something like uh, your new book, you know, that, uh, you know, is on the uh, cutting edge you know bringing uh cuban vegan cuisine to the world so that's a pretty good cool thing to do your your uh your family you're making them proud what can i say right now <laughs> i hope so i hope so yeah okay well uh, once again a pleasure talking to you the book is it's delicious it's vegan it's cuban and we've been talking to Raydel Hernandez. And uh, thank you for uh, the uh, trip down uh, memory lane for me. <laughs> oh, thanks. Thanks for having me again. If you, you know, if you ever want me on again, if you need a guest, let me know. I'd, I'd be, be my pleasure to speak to you again. Sure. Well, uh, we'll, we'll stay in touch and let's, uh, let's do some good things in the future. Beautiful. Thanks very much. Thanks. All right. Bye-bye. Okay, it's Go Vegan Radio with Bob Linden at GoVeganRadio.com. On your propaganda and censorship platforms, Facebook, Go Vegan Radio with Bob Linden, and Twitter at Go Vegan Radio. Thank you for joining us today. It was a great conversation we had with Raydel Hernandez about his wonderful new book, It's delicious, it's vegan, it's Cuban. Thank you for joining us. We would greatly appreciate it if you would make a donation to support us. 
This is our 20th anniversary season of Go Vegan Radio with Bob Linden. 20 years as an uncompromising voice for the animals, improved human health, and the environment. Going vegan, the only way to save the animals. It's not cage-free eggs. It's not a better chicken commitment. Only going vegan saves the animals. And... uh, you know, improves, uh, improves family health. And only going vegan saves the environment, as animal agriculture is the number one cause of climate change. And deforestation, pollution, water scarcity, resource depletion, you name it, mass extinction. We are told by science that the only way to stop climate change, the only way to stop mass extinction is, nope, it's not to eat cage-free eggs, it's to go vegan. All right. Well, thanks for joining us. I really appreciate that. And we will talk to you soon on Go Vegan Radio with Bob Linden at GoVeganRadio.com. Bye.